and really glad to be back. Uh, the text I want to look at this morning begins just above uh, John 14, so if you've got a Bible, turn to that. Um, and while you're turning, I want to remind you that we believe the Bible is the Word of God written, the only infallible rule of faith and practice, that it is not our reflections about God, but God's revelation to us about Himself and His ways with His people, particularly about His Son, Jesus Christ, and the way of salvation. And uh, before we read it, I want to... Uh, um, give a little introduction to the whole topic today. On the, the cover, the worship folder, uh, Michael Reeves' comment, Christianity is not primarily about lifestyle change, it is about knowing God. Well, this text is about knowing God, and uh, you'll see as uh, God develops it how they were thinking they didn't really know the Father, and Jesus was trying to convince them uh, that they did. Uh, some of you may know that before I became a Christian, I had what I call a Star Wars view of God. Uh, that God was a force out there, but was not a personal being. Uh, and that, that's a fairly common view, I think. Uh, I neglected the personal, the up-close aspects of it. The Bible teaches clearly, though, that God is a person. That God is a person that we are persons made in the image of God who is a person, that there are three persons in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. As Francis Schaeffer used to say, he is the infinite personal God. Not just a force, though he is powerful, not an emanation or a platonic idea, more than a creed or a thought, our God, the only God, the true God, the maker of heaven and earth, is a personal God. And humans, and only humans, are made in the image of the infinite personal God. Now some of you know also the reason I moved to Oregon in addition to being near a family. Uh, by the way, if you couldn't tell, I'm not from here, right? You couldn't tell that, right? Um, I was teaching apologetics at St. Stephen's Academy in Beaverton. And as a part of that class, I had my students one spring read the book, Can Science Explain Everything? by John Lennox. John Lennox is a famous scientist that works on the interface of science and religion. And very near the end of Lennox's book, he's British, but you'll forgive him of that, very near the end of that book, he says this, there comes a point in relationships after we have checked out the other person as much as possible when we have to give up our distance in order to make progress. That is to say, you can't stay far apart to really have relationship. Lennox goes on, you will never get to know me or anyone else if you remain at a distance. If you wish to get to know me, you will have to take the step of giving up your distance and engage me in conversation. You cannot even know what a relationship is without engagement. And it's the same with God. He's saying, look, if you want to know God, you've got to keep, get away from your separateness and get close. 
You've got to get, get, give up the distance. And, and that thought in Linus's book uh, gave me a renewed interest in John 14. I've been intrigued by John 14 since very soon after I was converted uh, for several reasons. Um, and, and, and so uh, I want to look at that and let's pray before we read a, a part of this, okay? Lord, help us to understand your word. Um, it is not a, a, a barren empty letter, but it's living, it's active, and sharper than a two-edged sword. We want it to be like that in our midst today. We want it to be um, a, a hammer that conforms us into the image of Christ. We want it to be life for all of us, and so I pray that those that might be strangers to grace would be touched by your grace and would be born again to a living hope and would become followers of you, Lord Jesus, because you have the words of eternal life. And I pray you'd use a wretchedly sinful crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to take it up in John 13 at verse 31. John 13 at verse 31. And, and it's, I'm going to read a quite a lengthy passage. You'll forgive me of that, but substitute preachers get away from it with stuff, don't they, I guess? Um, because it's a long passage, but it's, it's important in various ways. And I'll stop and make a few comments along the way just in the scripture reading. It begins, when he had gone out. Who is the he? Well, the he is Judas Iscariot. The way John develops this text, there in the, the upper room, uh, Jesus has said to him, what you do, do quickly. Uh, he goes out and, and the previous verse ends and it was night. It was darkness. Uh, John has an interest in darkness and light. And, and so he, when he had gone out, when Judas had gone out, again back in verse 31 of 13, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I'll say to, also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? <laughs> it's so Peter-like, isn't it? Where are you going, Lord? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So Jesus has said, guys, I'm out of here, okay? I'm out of here, I'm going away, and you can't come right now. So that's a crisis for them. I'll tell you why in a minute. So he goes on. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I, where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. 
Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is claiming they've seen the Father. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So he's telling them, look, you've seen the Father, and you know the Spirit, the Holy Spirit as well. And they're just dumbfounded. You'll, we'll see that in a minute. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, at that point, you're thinking, didn't he just say that? Well, he did over in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. And here he is in verse 12, 27 saying it again. Let not your hearts be troubled. Because he knows their hearts are troubled. And they didn't get it the first time. That's the reason pastors repeat themselves, you understand. Right? Verse 28. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, 
so that the world may know that I love the Father. Arise, let us go from here. And they go out into the night. Somewhere between the fifth grade and junior high school, a guy gets a crush on a girl. This is all speculative, you understand. But he's shy, and he won't speak to her. They communicate via their friends, but not with one another directly. How can they get to know one another? What sort of relationship can they have? And the answer is, not much. Why? No words, right? Relationship takes words. Throughout my pastoral ministry, I would time to time have guys and gals come to me and ask for advice about how to get along, how to get to know, how to date, how to find a wife, all that kind of stuff, or a husband. And I would counsel them many things, but one of the things I always said is you need to see them in as many different contexts as possible. It's not just when you, you kind of spruce up and she kind of spruces up and you get together on the date and everybody's got their act together and everything, but you need to be together when, when, when the wheels come off. And when you lose the game, and when the car breaks down, and all, so that you can see how they react to certain situations in life, because it's in those actions that happen in various contexts that you get to know a person. Why am I telling you all this? Well, because of the importance of the Lennox quote, to get to know someone, you cannot keep your distance. You must step up close and see who or what is there. And, and it's important in, in relationship for both words, you got to have conversation, and works, you got to see how people relate in various contexts to know who they really are. And you would say, I think, words and works reveal to us who the person really is, right? Now, for some of us, that's pretty ugly, right? I mean, you know, there's things I do in certain contexts that I wouldn't want my wife to tell you. You might say, is he really like that? And the answer is, yeah, he really is. Some of you are like that too, you know, right? Right. Words and works reveal who we are. It's the same with God. Words and works reveal who God is. Jesus is telling them that. He talks about words and works up in verses, what, 10, 11, 12, long in there. You look at the history of the Bible, what did God do? Well, he saved his people out of Egypt. He took them into captivity. He brought them to a mountain that was smoking with fire. He sent his only begotten son to die for them. That reveals who God is and many other things in the Bible. And in the Bible, of course, the whole thing is words, word, God's word. And these things reveal God. Words without works are insufficient. Words without words are insufficient. To get to know people, to get to know Jesus, you've got to have words and works. To get to know God the Father, you've got to have words and works. And that's what we find in this text. Now, I've been talking a long time to say, now here's my first point, okay? There are two crises that they faced at this juncture. There's an immediate crisis. Jesus is going away. They don't know where he's going. They don't know how to get connected with him after he leaves, and he said, you guys can't come right now. That's a crisis for them. And there's an ultimate crisis, and that is they want to know the Father. Jesus talks in verses uh, uh, 6 and 7 about knowing the Father, and Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough. They want to know the Father. They want to know God. 
And that's their ultimate crisis. Now, one of the dangers is that immediate crises can displace our concern for ultimate issues. And it's important that we not do that. Uh, some of you struggle, I think, to reflect on the really big issues of life because you're so intertwined in the immediate. And we need to sometimes step back from the immediate to look at the big issues of life. Like, what's it all about? Why do I go to work? Why do I come home? Why do, why do I raise kids? Why do I obey my parents? What, you know, you got to get, get out of the nitty-gritty sometime to look at the big issues. And they've got an immediate crisis and an ultimate crisis. So Jesus is going away. He says that up in chapter 13. And, and they don't know where he's going. And, and think about their situation, okay? You think, okay, we all have read that. Jesus is going away, da, da, da. What? Think about these people. They've left everything to follow him. I mean, the, the, uh, John and, and, and um, James, the sons of Zebedee, left their dad in the boat and got up and walked following Jesus. And their dad's in the boat and they're tracking after Jesus. They've left everything to follow him. They, they've confessed that he's the Christ, though they don't understand everything about that. They're hoping that he's going to whoop up on the Romans and save them from Roman occupation and oppression. Jesus has said, I'm going to depart via the cross and go back to the Father. And that's good news for them, but they don't really understand. They don't really get it yet. They will, but they don't yet. And so it's in, it's, that's, that's the immediate crisis. And it is a crisis for them. It is a crisis for them. Because they, they've just done everything for him, and now, poof, he's going. And you don't know where I'm going, and you can't come. Okay. All right. The ultimate crisis is they don't know the Father. And, and that's what I just read. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. They want to know the Father. Everybody, you know, people talk about God. I want to know God. So they've got an immediate crisis. They've got an ultimate crisis. So how does Jesus deal with the first crisis, the immediate crisis, that he's going away? And he deals with that by preaching. Look at the text. He deals with that by preaching. In John 14, verse 1, he preaches to them. He says, control your hearts. Let not your hearts be troubled. That's what he says and repeats in verse 27 that I pointed out. Let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. And, and some of us would have to say, you know, I really do need to control my heart from time to time. Others would say, is it possible to control my heart? Because we, we live in a day and age that says, oh, oh, your heart. When you get, when you get dominated by your heart, you're supposed to follow your heart. You're supposed to be true to your heart. Well, my heart's wretched. My heart is wretched. I better not follow my heart all the time. I doubt you should follow your heart all the time. It's difficult, but it's possible, or I think Jesus wouldn't be preaching this, right? And Jesus knows what it is to have a troubled heart. Look at John 12. John 12 at verse 27. Um, he, um, and now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And, and in, in John 13 at 21, when he, when he knows that Judas will betray him, he says in verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. So Jesus knew about this. He was tempted or tried or tested in all things like as we are, yet without sin. 
And so he preaches first, control your heart. Control your heart. There's some of you here today that said, boy, I need that advice. Uh, my heart takes me into fear. Uh, my heart takes me into worry. My heart takes me into anxiety. I need to control my heart. Yeah, I get it. Mine too. I understand. And then secondly, he says, stir up your faith. This is the preaching. This is how he handles their first crisis. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. I think that's two imperatives. It's hard to tell in the Greek. But, but it's an imperative, I think. Believe the promises. Believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to go to the Father via the cross, and because of that, your sins are going to be forgiven. They're going to be atoned for. As we read in the confession, your sins are going to be removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Brothers and sisters, that's good news, because that's a long way. That's what he's saying. Look, believe it when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a great place for you, and I'm going to come back for you and take you to myself. Do you see that language in verse 3? I'm going to come back and take you to myself. It's not just that, it's not just, look, I'm going to, it's not like God's got a Hampton Inn, okay, and you're going to get a room and he's somewhere else. <laughs> That's not what it's like. He said, I'm going to come back and take you to myself. I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me where I am. I want you to have fellowship with me. I want you to have communion with me. So he's saying, look, stir up your faith. You're going to have a place with God in God's house, a place of security and plenty and love and relationship. I'll come back and, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, verse 16. That's the reason I read so far, so we'd get to that. And said, guys, and look, while I'm gone, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to dwell with you. The Holy Spirit's going to be in you. And by the way, further down, he says, the Father and I are going to come and we're going to dwell with you too. And we underplay, at least people in the Presbyterian Reformed tradition, we underplay the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, some of us are afraid of the Holy Spirit, just to be honest with you. But the Holy Spirit is very important in the, in, the, in, in the Godhead, obviously, and in the work of God, the salvation of God. The Holy Spirit will remain with him and abide with him until he comes. And there are two places, at least two places, maybe three in the New Testament, where the Holy Spirit is called the earnest the earnest of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the earnest money. The Holy Spirit is the down payment guaranteeing that which is to come. The Holy Spirit is God's promise, God's proof that he's going to come back in the person of Jesus someday and, and consummate, seal the deal to bring his people to be with him. That's good news too. So he's saying to them that look, while he's gone, nothing can separate them from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in things present and nothing in things to come, neither life nor death nor anything else. And what he's saying to them is, look, you need, you need to stir up your faith. You need to believe the promises. Brothers and sisters, that's true you me. We don't believe the promises very well. We, we have them in our head, but do we have them in our heart? Do we have them in our heart? He's saying to them, look, get the promises in your heart and you can handle this, my going away and my coming back. Really, you and I are in the same situation. He's gone away, but he hadn't come back yet, right? So we need the faith, the promises that they have. Why are we not getting more comfort out of it? Interesting, one of the great New Testament scholars in, 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 uh, in, in America today is a... Is a, a a man named Don Carson that teaches at a seminary in Chicago. 
And Don Carson says one of the problems we have today is that we're so enamored with the stuff we have and the good life we have that we don't long for Jesus. And, and we don't believe the promises because we don't feel like we need the promises, that we luxuriate in the blessings of God. That's his language. I think there's some truth to that, actually. Uh, we, we don't cry out for God and beg God to come back. Uh, at, at the end of the book of Revelation, come, Lord Jesus, uh, they pray. They, they cry out to God, come, Lord Jesus. I can tell you, believers in, in Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, and China pray that. Why don't we pray that so passionately? as we find it in the book of Revelation, because life's pretty good. Life's pretty good for most of us in many ways. So there are two crises. There's an immediate crisis, Jesus going away. How does he handle that? He handles that by preaching and, and, and by promises, okay? There's a second crisis, knowing the Father. And how does he handle that? <laughs> this is... This is what some of my friends call, this is thick smoke. This is, this is the real deal. He says, look at me, guys. Jesus says, look at me. Now, we can't get the impact of that. Um, it, it, would be like, it would be like I stood up here one Sunday and said, hey, look, I've known some of you guys a long time, and I just want you to know I, I hadn't told you the whole truth. I'm God. I mean, this is Jesus. This is the carpenter's son. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know? And he says, you want to know what God's like? Guys, look at me. Are you kidding me? For crying out loud. Look at me? Look at you? Hmm. Let me offer a few comments about this that I think will, will help us. First is this. No one gets to know anyone else unless that other person allows himself or herself to be known. Nobody gets to know someone else unless that other person allows himself or herself to be known. And that is especially true when the person you want to know is, is of a station or place in life higher than yourself. Think about the king of England. So you get some of the paparazzi kind of press reports about the King of England. Let me ask you the question. Do you think you know the King of England? My hunch is you'd say, nah, if, if you really reflect, you'd say, I really don't know the King of England. I know a few things about the King of England. I get a picture every now and then. He kind of looks like a stony-faced guy a lot of the times, you know, and some other stuff like that. But would you say you really know the King of England? Nah, you really don't know him. You don't know what... What, what happens when he drops something on his foot. You just don't know what he says. You don't know what he does, right? You just don't know the guy. What would it take to get to know the king of England? Well, he'd have to call you up and say, come over for lunch. Let's go play, what do they play, polo or cricket or whatever they do. You know, let's go play a game. Let's go shoot a gun. Let's go take a walk in the woods. Let's spend some time together. Oh, yeah, okay. Because unless he really wants to let you in, to let you get to know him, unless he invites you to come close, you'll never know him as he really is. God's the same. Unless he comes close, unless we come close, unless he invites us to come close, we will never know him. Unless he reveals himself to us, we will never get to know him and what he's like. But the good news is he has done that. 
He has revealed Himself in creation and in redemption and especially in His Son, Jesus Christ. He's come close. I was meditating on this in my study yesterday morning and, and the, the thing I emphasized earlier about how God's a person. And I think, you know, Jesus could sit in my study if He was back on the earth. We could chat. Doesn't that just blow your mind? That God says, I'll let you get to know me. I want you to get to know me. I want fellowship with you. I want relationship with you. I want it so badly I'll bleed out my only boy so your sins can be forgiven and a holy God and people formerly sinful can come together. One of the great arrogant human arrogances is this. That I can know God on my own terms without God's help, without God's revealing himself to me, I know what God needs to be like. And if God doesn't live up to my expectations, he can't be God. Isn't that arrogant? So it'd be like, it'd be like you go to the king of England, he invites you over, and he does something you're not expecting. And you say, well, you can't be the king because you're not acting the way the king should act. He said, I am the king, and the way I act is the way the king acts. And you say, but no, you, you're not supposed to be like that. Well, yes, I am. I'm the king. And some of you have said to God, no, you can't be like that. I want you to be like this. Friend, that's arrogance. That's arrogance that needs to be repented of. You cannot, the creature cannot dictate to the creator, oh, here's what you need to be like. And if you're not like that, I won't follow you, I won't serve you, I won't bow the knee to you. You better. You better. Don't be like that. There's so many people like that. Without revelation, without the Bible, you'll never know the true God. That's so important. So he points them to himself and... And he makes this claim, whoever's seen me has seen the Father. In John 12, he said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. In verse 10 of this passage, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. My words are his words and his words are my words. John 14, verse 24, the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So he's saying, look, I said, look, it takes words and it takes works or actions to get to know somebody. Jesus is saying, I'm speaking the words of the Father. You can get to know the Father if you listen to my words. What words? Words of invitation. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Words of comfort. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. Words of command. This command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. All men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Words of salvation. These are the words he speaks. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And he says, look, my works are his works, and his works are my works. John 5, for the works... That the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. 
what works did he do? Well, he did miraculous works, right? He turned the water to wine. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Lepers were healed. The blind received their sight. The lame walked. The dumb could hear. Hemorrhages were stopped. All those signs of the kingdom because there would be no, none of those things in glory. Words of creation. John 1, 3. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Works of providence, upholding the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1, 3. Words of salva- works of salvation, sinless life, substitutionary death. Words and works reveal a person. So he makes these claims and then he issues this challenge to re- reject Jesus is to reject the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 15... They do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. So if somebody says, well, I love the father, but I don't like this Jesus guy, Jesus said, they're just wrong. They're just flatly mistaken. That cannot be the case. To receive or accept Jesus is to receive or accept the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. That's the Father. So, how to have a personal relationship with God? Have a personal relationship with Jesus. The works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You searched the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Friend, is that true of you? Have you refused to come to Jesus that you might have life? Have you said, well, no, Jesus, I will not come. I will not follow you. I will not serve you. I will not obey you. I will not love you. To know God the Father, we must come to know Jesus. There is no other way. You know the text in Psalm, in one of the Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do you taste and see? Well, you put some in your mouth, right? You put it in your mouth. You come close. You listen. How to grow in a relationship with God? Study His words and study His works. Read and study the Bible where the words and works of God are recorded. If you want to know God better, you must come to know Jesus better. And to know Jesus better, you must study and meditate upon His words and works by which He reveals Himself to you and to anyone who will seek Him. It's really good news. You can know God. You can know God personally. You can know God directly. He wants fellowship with you. His words and his works both reveal him to us and save us. Our words and works disqualify us from heaven. But we are forgiven because of his words and works. That's the best news I could ever give you. Let's pray. Lord, our God, um, thank you that you've come near. Forgive us our arrogance that we thought that we could know you apart from your words and your works, that we thought we could tell you what you ought to be like, 
when the Bible's been there all along for us to humble ourselves before and read as obedient servants. I pray that in the words and works of Jesus, we will believe that we're seeing the words and works of you, Father, and that we'll all be saved and sanctified as we meditate upon your revelation of yourself in your words and in your works. And we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.